what? It is a very special episode today, Chelsea. In what way? Because it is International Women's Month, right? <gasps> hey, it? I'm a woman. So That's amazing. We're doing a special episode to celebrate. Is that why we have a woman in the studio? We do have a woman in the studio, yeah. We do. Oh my today. god. Hey. Aliza, name a woman. <laughs> For name a dollar, man. Michelle, name a woman. Michelle name Obama. Woman. Michelle Obama. Oh my God, she did it. Eliza, <laughs> tell us a bit about yourself. What are you about? God, what am I about? Mm -hmm. What a huge question. I know. That I truly wasn't expecting. <laughs> I was born in San Francisco in 91. And <laughs> <laughs> yes. I do sing, though, actually. Yes, yeah, beautiful right. voice. That is kind of what I'm about, spreading love and joy through the power of music. Oh, my God. So would you say you're a musician <laughs> and a filmmaker? I would say... A producer? Yeah. I would, yeah, I guess. And a friend? I'm an all-around... And friend. a woman. <laughs> so, Elisa, uh, I believe that you know how the podcast works. I certainly do. I have been a fan since day one. Oh, my, oh gosh. my gosh. Yes, I'm very day excited one, what to fans. be here. Day one, what fan? Elisa, uh, have I ever told you the story of when I went and saw Lil Wayne and he was like, seemed to be having like an emotional breakdown and like uh, before every song he'd be like, only day one Lil Wayne fans, only day one Lil Wayne fans could bop to this song. Can bop to this yeah, song? Yeah, only day one Lil Wayne fans. And then he would like, he had the same energy as like that Kroll show thing where he's like, and my mother... Like he was just like he was like G one just day one the Wayne fans and I was like dude you're at ACL like it is ninety five percent white this is not day one Lil Wayne fans. Well, speaking of ninety five percent white and seeing Lil Wayne, I saw him perform with Blink One Eighty Two. Oh incredible. my god! And he changed his name segue. to Little Tunchi, Lil Lil Tunchi. Little Tunchi. So if anybody's curious, that's what he's going by now. Is this real yeah, or no, is this like a dream real. that you had? Nope, 100% real. This All is right, unfortunately very real. Unfortunately so real. <laughs> Oh my god, I'm Elisa, you're doing so amazing. You came with like all the facts. You were not you were not dissuaded by my like random story, which I know Ellie hates and will edit out of this podcast. I won't. <laughs> I won't. No, I don't just I won't. I won't. I might. Eleanor, what are we doing next? We are gonna head into our mini game. <gasps> mini game. We are each gonna swap the title of our topic and have the opportunity to guess what we think the other topic may be. I'm gonna go first. She's going first. My title is "You're Glowing, Doll." <clears throat> Ooh, mm -hmm. I feel uh, radioactive okay. women. She-Hulk. Does she -Hulk. the accent have anything to do with it? Yes, and the verbiage. My choice of slang. Say again, oh, so please. it's like from the '40s. That's why I said yeah, radioactive. Yeah, like glowing, doll. Yeah, well, it's very yeah. transatlantic. Yeah. It's a very Casablanca. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He's okay. looking at you, He's looking kid, at you, Mamba. Kid. I say that to Mamba all the time. <laughs> did you know that that was an ad lib? I'm just going to throw that out there. That wasn't. I did not. Know yeah, that. it's fact bang. Fact bang over fact here. Bang. Bringing it yeah, fact bang. Yeah, he used bang. to call her kid. He used to play poker in between scenes. And then that was like his nickname for her on set. So he just said it in the scene. And then and in they the were scene, like, he did it. And it made it like so much more emotional. Okay, I'm sorry. Can you repeat your title? Yes. It's You're Glowing, Doll. See, here's my theory, mm -hmm. and she has basically said no, but I'm nevertheless I persisted. Uh, it sounds a transatlantic. It sounds 40s. They said dull, and she said glowing. And I think it's women that worked with like radioactive stuff and bombs in the 40s. So close, Fuck. so close. Oh, wow. No, but like so close. You go next. <laughs> Me, I go next. Yes. As punishment. Yes. All right. My title is. The 50 million ton woman. <gasps> Whoa. Oh, Statue of Liberty. It is not the Statue of Liberty, but that would have ton. been sick. 
Oh my gosh, the 50 I, million tons. Well, Elisa and I were talking earlier about how she really wanted to make her topic about elephants. Is I <laughs> so just to be clear, because this will come up later in my thing, uh, 50 million tons would be, I think, 7 million elephants. What? Just to give you an idea of how much 50 million tons is. Elisa, what's yours? My title is A Girl Has 100 Names. Oh, what? That's some like Game of Thrones m- mask face ish ish. Has a hundred <laughs> a names. A girl has a hundred names. Ooh, is it about like a um a female con artist who like traveled the world and had loads of identities? Kind of close. Ooh. What? Edging. She's edging, <laughs> guys. She's edging. This could be a full on walnut for or- Elmer Main. Chestnut. Or chestnut. I feel like a walnut's further. Like where you've uh, edged a longer to get a walnut. I don't know. I've never had a penis. <laughs> happy women's history month. Happy women's history month. <laughs> that's, a, that's a great shot. Happy women's history month. I've never had a penis. Although. Not one time. It's important to say that women can't have penises. It's just that this woman hasn't. Right. <laughs> Maybe no that's point. the shirt. Maybe but, even, but then on the back it says, it's important to know that women can have penises, but this woman hasn't. I'm going to take it. Oh my God, Ellie's going first. So my topic is about the Radium Girls. Have either of you guys heard about the Radium Girls? No. I've literally only heard that phrase. I don't know anything about it. Well, we're about to go down a bit of a political and health-related conspiracy slash definitely happened slash legal case it's all my favorite things wrapped up in one thing oh my God. and i feel oh, like geez, i'm so excited you're gonna I, like this feels very aaron brockovich it's a little aaron brockovich That's yeah great. it's a little bit of Brock. we're talking about women we're talking about breakthroughs and then there's like a little bit of gross stuff which is <gasps> my kind of area oh my god keep it gross my area is gross <laughs> No, that's also a shirt. Happy, happy, happy women women's history month. <laughs> my hair is gross. Oh my, oh my god. Oh. Okay, wait. Can we just women's? Because I should say I think it, it right. Is women's History Month. I think. Oh, international women's. History well, because International Day of the Women is this month. March. Which I think what you're thinking of. I'm just of. googling yeah. March and women. women. March Women's History Month. Yeah, it's Women's History Month. Women's uh, History Why month did I think it was International Women's Month? Because International Day of the Woman is this month. And ah. that's the thing that kind of has bigger, like that you see on Twitter yep. more. That's than, the hook uh, of it. I'm going to crack on. Please do. I'm so sorry. So, the Radium Girls. God, I'm so sorry. Let me tell you this pretty harrowing tale that does have kind of a happy ending. We'll get there. We'll see. So from 1917 to 1926, the US Radium Corporation, of course, was engaged in the extraction and purification of radium to produce luminous paints, which were marketed under the brand name Undark. <laughs> Undark. Undark. The US Radium was a major supplier of radioluminescent watches for the military uh. because radium glows. <gasps> so they would paint the numbers of watches so you could see the numbers on the watch. That happened in the 1920s? Yeah. Mm-hmm. From 1917 to 1926. It's a really bad understanding of time, so that seems crazy to me. Right. Pretty it wild. Was, it was 100 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So exactly. Yeah. Over 100 years ago. But here's the thing, was that radium was marketed as being good for you. <laughs> oh, no. You could buy radium water, radium face <gasps> cream, radium toothpaste, and even radium brand creamery butter. Are you saying uh, radium was the vaping of the 1920s? Kind of. Like, not all the products actually had very expensive, precious radioactive 
element. Um, but they, uh, but the evocation of radium gave them this healthful glow. Doctors used radium to treat everything from colds to cancer. Oh my god! Yeah. Well, I mean, aren't we? St- we're still using radium for cancer, though, right? Yes. Yeah. But back in that day, it was like you got a toothache, radium. Hell yeah. <laughs> Eye hurts, headache, radium. Mm-hmm. God, it must have been so fucking metal to be alive in the twenties and just be like cocaine and radiation for everything. <laughs> like, no, wait hey. a second. Am I not imagining right? Is radium the same as radiation? Radium is a radioactive element. Thank you. Okay, it's a it's on okay. the periodic table. So it's <gasps> oh, a, yeah, that makes so sense. that makes it science. Yeah, and that makes <laughs> and that makes science. The U.S. Radium Corporation hired approximately a hundred women to paint watch faces with radium and perform various tasks all of which included handling radium. Uh, interestingly enough, the owners of these factories and the scientists familiar with the effects of radium carefully avoided any exposure to it themselves. Chemists at the Funny. plant used to uh, use lead screens, masks, and tongs to handle it, but they were like, these women... These oh women can just fuck right off. They can hold it, they can throw it around. Oh my god. At the US Radium Corporation, which is the USRC, each of the painters mixed her own paint in a small crucible and then used camel hair brushes to apply the glowing paint onto the dials. Just as a side note, because women's history, the then current rate of pay for painting 250 dials a day was about a penny and a half per dial which is equivalent to 30 cents so here's nothing the, here's the thing the brushes would lose shape after a few strokes so the uh, corporation supervisors encouraged the workers to point the brushes with their lips or use <gasps> their tongues to keep them sharp so oh, they would yikes. be paint put their paintbrush in a pot of radium then they would put that paintbrush in their mouth to shape it and then they would paint the uh paint the face of the watch. So all these women are still alive today, right? Is this going to be the kind of the fun it's part? Not. They're actually going to be alive for the next 200 <laughs> yeah. years. <laughs> because the true nature of radium had been kept from them, the radium girls painted their nails, teeth, and faces for fun with the deadly paint produced at the factory. They would quite literally glow. So they would go out to the dance halls in the 1920s and listen to some jazz and they would have painted radium onto their teeth so that they shine. And they would paint it onto their clothes. I so, mean, I get it. Yeah. Because they mean, didn't know it was bad. Right, and that sounds metal yeah. as fuck. What if we right. found out that our like regular eyeshadow did the same thing? Like, but right now we have no idea about it. Right. This author, Kate Moore, wrote a book, The Radium Girls, The Dark Story of America's Shining Women. And she talks about how they thought of it as magical. She says, in the book, I quote the husband of one of the girls who was a dial painter. He writes about seeing her smock from work hanging up in the bedroom, and it gives him the feeling of a ghost bouncing around on the wall. It's haunting that they were later nicknamed the ghost girls because of what happened. After a little while, many of the women began to suffer from anemia, which is not that bad, then some bone fractures, and then necrosis of the jaw, which is a condition oh, now oh. known as radium jaw. Oh, what is that? Oh, no. Chelsea, can you describe to us what necrosis is? Uh, okay. The prefix nec, so N-E-C-R, means death. Oh, so when you have necrotic no. tissue or necrosis, it's when you have rapid cell death and it doesn't come back. So like, for example, frostbite, mm-hmm. when like the fingers and toes turn black, that's necrosis. Mm-hmm. It's like hypothermic necrosis. Wow. So, so was it ex- like in, on the exterior of your jar? Was it I think maybe it the within? inside. I mean, it was the whole damn wow. thing. Their so teeth like, start your jaw <sighs> dies from the inside out. Their teeth start to fall out. Their jaw bones, brittle and degraded, just broke at a super light touch. Their hips locked into place. The skin wouldn't heal. There was one woman who went to the dentist to pull a tooth and he pulled her entire jaw out. What? Oh Oh my God. That is some horror movie shit. Their legs broke underneath them. Their spines collapsed. The human body, it turns out, easily mistakes radium for calcium. 
So all that radium the women licked off their paintbrushes actually ended up in their bones like calcium would have. So oh, their no. bones are bombarding their body with radiation from <gasps> the inside out. <laughs> pretty bad pretty 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 bad and and obviously the radium company the US radium corporation were really cool about it and uh, um, they oh, sure. paid out easily it was, um, so I was like no of course none of that happened that company and other dial watch companies rejected claims that the afflicted workers were suffering from exposure to radium for some time doctors dentists and researchers complied with requests from the companies to not release any of their data about I mean it radiation. sounds like women's it sounds like women's weakness am I right <laughs> in yeah. fact these companies came out and said that it was their fault that they it, actually they had syphilis because they're all whores <gasps> and oh, that's why they were falling apart cheese and fries so they tried to smear the reputation of the women and it worked the US Radium Corporation was in New Jersey and everyone like, no of one believed of course it was yeah no one believed <laughs> radium and glitter yes I know oh I mean, shit two very bad you just done things. cracked it Elisa <laughs> in New Jersey the story of the abuse perpetrated against the workers is distinguished from most such cases by the fact that the ensuing litigation was covered widely by the media people tried to backlash all over the country but this particular one gained the attention of the media in a really big way so plant worker Grace Fryer decided to sue but it took two years for her to find a lawyer willing to take on the US Radium Corporation she was shunned called a liar um, and even after she found a lawyer the slow moving courts held out for months Obviously. At their first appearance in court in January 1928, two of the women were bedridden. None of them could raise their arms to take mm. an oath. Five factory workers, and we're going to name them, Women's History Month, here they are, Grace Fryer, Edna Husman, Catherine Schaub, and sisters Quinta McDonald and Albina Larice, formerly dubbed the Radium Girls, joined in the lawsuit. It looked like it was going really, really badly, that the corporation was going to win and that they weren't going to get any kind of justice until the inventor of the radium dial paint, Dr. Sabin A. Von Sashoki, died in November, becoming the 16th known victim of poisoning by radium dial paint. Wild. So his death, the circumstances of his death helped the girls in court massively. This is like, ugh, just so disgusting. When Arthur Roder, the president of the USRC, was on the stand, he was asked, what was the first case that you knew of? And he said, I don't remember the name. So essentially ugh. he killed all these women and he, he couldn't even remember their names. Couldn't be bothered. I guess he's probably like down in hell just feeling so unlucky that all this happened before corporations got to be recognized as people by our government. Right, yeah. <laughs> but, so the case was settled in the autumn of 1928 before the trial was deliberated by the jury and the settlement for each of the radium girls was $10,000, which is about 150000 now. So one half surgery. Unfortunately, most of them ended up spending this money on their own funerals. Oh, um, You said this has a happy ending? It does. The Radium Girl saga holds an important place in the history of both the field of health physics and the labor rights movement. The right of individual workers to sue for damages from corporations due to labor abuse was established as a result of this case specifically. That is good. In the wake of the case, industrial safety standards were demonstrably enhanced. The lawsuit and resulting publicity was a, fa was a factor in the establishment of occupational disease labor law. Radium dial painters were instructed in proper safety precautions and provided with protective gear. In particular, they no longer shaped paintbrushes by putting them in their freaking mouths. Jesus. That's good. But radium paint was still used as late as the 1960s. There's still people, by the way, up until like in the mid 70s who still thought that they were lying. But it's because of their bravery of pursuing through being publicly and professionally shunned whilst your body falls apart to pursue the law case where we have like law protection of, of, of workplaces in general. So Women's History Month, hey to the radium girls who uh, help to advance labor rights movements. Yeah, that's crazy. Ooh. So yeah, there's the radium girls. 
Wow, that is, I, that's rough. A little that bit is, harrowing, huh? Oh my god, <laughs> I cannot get the visual of a doctor trying to pull a tooth and the whole jaw coming off out of my. I head. know. I like. I'm so macabre that I was like trying to look up photos, and most no. of them are like classified. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Because it's gross. I'm gonna give you two points right off the bat. One for each X chromosome. Happy Women's History Month. Thank you so much. You're welcome. I'm going to give you another five points because it's expertly researched. Oh, again, you. as always. Another three points for the heebie-jeebies. <laughs> thank you. I like to bring those jeebies. But then also, like, again, one point because, like, I'm, like, a little bit, like, nauseated. One sure. point away for nausea. So I think it's a total of a nine. Okay. Thank you so much. Elisa. Ellie. Yeah. I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you a solid five points right off the bat. Wow. For just finding something that I've never heard of and also an extra point for it being somewhat similar to Aaron Brockovich, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. Great. I love Hell that. Hell yeah. I'll take that. I am going to take off one point. Okay. Just because it made my soul feel real sad. Yeah. Oogie. Yeah. It was Oogie. Yeah. You know? That's fair. That's fair. But then I am going to give you three points for wrapping it up so nicely and also... Oh. Um, I'm not gonna lie. I thought that there was gonna be like a twist ending, like somebody was a superhero, maybe Spider Man. I don't know. <laughs> You're like, and um, that woman <laughs> was. Yeah. But an extra three points just for yeah, really, really well researched and thank expertly you. presented. Oh, thank you. Okay, Lisa, remind us of your title. Yes, the title is. A girl has 100 names. Oh, yes. I'm so excited for this. I'm going to set the scene. Okay. Oh, my God. Set it, please. It is Pennsylvania, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Mm. We in all know that place. 1885. Okay. Okay. Our heroine is 20. Her story. Her story. Her story. <laughs> true. Our heroine is 21 years old. Okay. Oh, just like me. Okay. <laughs> right in the thick. Every fucking day. <laughs> Oh, just like me. Exactly like me. Oh. This is right in the thick of the women's suffrage movement. Okay. But still 34 years before the 19th Amendment is passed. So, like, women don't have the right to vote. 34 years. I was going to say, Ellie's British, so you might want to catch her up on that first. The 19th Amendment granted women the right to vote, and that was passed in, I believe, 1919. Oof, stinky. Only white women. Oh. Right, right. We're not even. We're not even, yeah, we're not even there yet. African American women, or yeah. yikes. So, okay, that kind of sets the scene. Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Okay. And our heroine, first name given, Elizabeth Cochran. She's reading an article in the Pittsburgh Dispatch, which was a local daily paper at okay. the time. And the article was titled "What Girls Are Good For," which absolutely nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Say it again, <laughs> girls. Which, that's essentially. <laughs> So that's essentially what it said. I wow. mean, Great. what it said was not entirely, not good for nothing, but it just it prin- said that women were principally good for birthing and keeping house. House for baby. Yeah, and you house. gotta be. You, you gotta, gotta be if house you make for baby. The baby. You gotta then you gotta make the house for baby. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, first you are house for but baby. First you are house. Yeah, for baby. your house for baby. Your house for baby inside, and then when baby come out of your house, then you have to make a new bigger house outside for it to live Correct. in. Elizabeth, at the age of twenty one, she's feeling a little feisty. She's really upset about this yeah not feeling super good about it um and like let's just say she's sparky you know okay she's like she's a spicy lady hell yeah so she wrote the paper 
and like wrote this fiery letter just calling the piece a monstrosity and yeah it was so you know call them all ball bags mean. exactly yeah, it was yeah. mean she called them a ball bag and, you know don't be a fucking ball bag don't be a ball bag is yeah. what she said and the managing editor of the paper at the time got wind of this impassioned response and he thought wow that's a great voice you got there. I'd love to hire you for my paper. He hires her for $5 a week, which at the time was more than factory girls were getting paid. Granted, this is 1885, so okay. a solid, what so. is that, 40 years, something like that, mm-hmm. before yeah. your story. But okay. $5 a week, so that was like pretty good. Um, and she was really excited about it. She took a pseudonym, which was customary for female writers. Mm-hmm. Um, and Learned it was, little woman. It was here that her second name was born, Nellie Bly. Nellie Bly. Ooh, that does sound like a fake name. It was given to her <laughs> for them. by that the hard. editor oh. who um, gave it yeah. to her. She doesn't get to choose. She's a woman. <laughs> At the time, women were rarely hired to work in journalism. And if they were, they were hired as columnists yeah. who generally were directed to write on women-centered issues in heavy air quotes. Oh, yeah. Like, which yeah, is the best kind of washing up gloves? Or as a throwback, where is my uterus today? Where is it? Where is it to be found? So Nellie was interested in a different kind of journalism. Stunt journalism was kind of all the rage at the time. Stunt journalism is the form of journalism where one takes risks to get a story that they otherwise would not have gotten. Uh, Okay. So she's into this, right? Yeah. She's like, I don't like... I want to fight a bear and climb a mountain. The very first article that she wrote for Pittsburgh Dispatch was titled The Girl Puzzle, where she argued to reform divorce laws after reporting on how divorce wrongfully affected women mm-hmm. more than it affected the men in the divorce. Totally. Yeah. And they um, fixed that. Oh, yeah. yeah that's, they fixed it immediately. That's exactly, yeah, yeah. Not even a problem anymore. Yeah, no, no. Yeah. Um, so then she went on to write an investigative series on conditions for female factory workers. Like, oh. had she been around during radium? I don't know. Maybe oh. it wouldn't have happened. But I eventually the paper got enough complaints from factory owners about the articles that she was reassigned You've to You've been the, giving my girls ideas. Yeah, that <laughs> they actually reassigned her to the women's page back to gardening and housekeeping. Yeah, know your place, Nellie. So she's like, fuck you, I'm going to bury myself alive in my garden. <laughs> exactly. So now two years later at Dispatch, she's 23, she got super tired of it. She's like, I'm over it. Yeah. I don't want to write about society. I quit. So she leaves. She goes to New York City where she spends her first four months totally broke, no money, trying to figure out a way into the news scene in New York. And out of the 10 notable daily newspapers at the time, she decides to head to the New York world to work for a man who had recently purchased a paper four years earlier, a man named Joseph Pulitzer. As Joseph in, Pulitzer. Of the Pulitzer oh, Prize. As, as in Joseph as in Pulitzer. As in like the Pulitzer. As in the Pulitzer. As in... This is where she gets her real start. <gasps> right. Oh, yes. At New York World, where Nellie was given the chance to take on some of her real reporting, she had to pitch a couple ideas before she got hired. One of them, they start talking about it, and between them they decide, listen, there's been a lot of like murmurs in New York about maltreatment at an all-woman's insane asylum. Ooh. Oh. What if we could get the inside scoop? And she says, I could get I could get in there. And he I'm said, how are, how are you going to get in there? She says, let me, like, leave that to me. I just need to know that you're going to get me out. Okay, so she sneaks in. So she sneaks, no, she doesn't sneak. She actually goes through this whole situation uh, where she, now she changes her name again to Nellie Brown. Nellie now, just so you know, it's not like any official name change, but now she goes by Nellie Brown. Right. Because they don't want her to, they want Nellie Bly to be her 
like journal name, okay. and Nellie Brown will be her name, her secret name. Her insane asylum name. Her insane yeah. asylum name. We all have those. So she takes on the challenge. Oh, yeah. She gets her name. She's like, all right, Nellie Brown gonna she's gonna do this. She effectively becomes America's first undercover investigative journalist. Oh, oh that rules. Badass, so badass. Cool. Okay, so I'm gonna quote a couple things from an article from an A&E television. Okay. Biography.com. Cool. Where they talk about when she's admitting herself, Nellie then meets with several doctors and a kindly judge who attempt to classify her mental health. She goes into these meetings fearing that she cannot trick these men who, quote, could not be deceived after so much experience with the insane. Mm -hmm. Clearly, right? She's like, you guys know insane people. But in fact, she actually finds next to no trouble in convincing the doctors (laughs) that she's incurable. Yep. (laughs) It's like problem number one, right? Then there's like a whole interesting piece about how she meets other women in the process, most of whom... Wait, wait, not just... Not just having mental health issues, but incurable. Incurable. Wow. Like you're send never getting you, out of here. Send you away. For a five-minute chat, like, mm-hmm, yep, this is you forever. Well, I mean, she did think she could be a writer. <laughs> yeah. <so>. yeah. <laughs> Clearly insane. <laughs> fucking crazy. So what else is kind of crazy is, like, in this journey when she's taken away to be, like, studied by these doctors, she meets other women who are also being studied to see if they're insane. Okay. And the people that she meets, there's a lot of women who are, like, claiming that they're actually not crazy. They're like, no, no, like... I'm really, I'm fine. I'm regular. I'm, I'm regular. <laughs> but they all happen to be unwealthy and generally immigrants, which is interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if like there were women there who were just like, yeah, no, my husband wanted to like get with the milkmaid. Oh yeah. Yeah. So oh, for was, like, sure. She's crazy. Do you know how Charles Dickens did that? <laughs> I'm uh, sure. That's that doesn't surprise me. Son of a bitch. <laughs> So she actually knows how the doctors were asking, like, leading questions to try to confuse these people so that they sounded crazy so that they could be admitted into an insane asylum. Nellie's finally admitted into the insane asylum, right? Finally. Finally. Get her in there. Also, by the way, fun fact, the insane asylum is on an island called Blackwell's Island, also known as now Roosevelt Island off of New York. Oh, yeah, this is that part of, uh, I know about this from that show Younger. This is the part of where you could only get to it by tram. <gasps> and uh, it's also overrun by cats. Oh, really? Yes. Well, that's kind of fun. So she's finally admitted. And right when she's admitted into the asylum, she totally drops her act. Because she thinks, maybe if I act sane, the oh. doctors will, like, treat me a little bit differently. I don't want them to, like, totally take advantage of me. You know? Okay. it's kind of scary, right? Yeah. You're living yeah. in this insane asylum for you don't really know how long. Like, let's just talk about it for a second. You're in a place, scary, hospitals, hospitals, yep. gross, right? With people who actually are crazy, some who are not, some people who are. Some people are probably quite dangerous. Screaming. People who have mental illness that we did not understand how to treat at the time. Right, exactly. Yeah. And not to mention, like, the boat she's being carried over on is disgusting. Like, everything is gross, right? a vector for disease. It's horrible. She gets there. The place is gross. There's, like, tobacco. People are, like, the staff members are spitting tobacco onto the floor. Ew. Yeah, like, it's just horrible conditions. Somehow, in this world of twisted logic, the more sanely that she acts the crazier she's perceived. Right when she gets on the island, they take away her notepad and her pencil. Later, when she asks for her pencil back and her notepad back, they insist that she never brought a pencil or a notepad. Uh. And she was advised to, quote, fight against the imaginations of her brain. Oh. Oh my God, I can't believe they gaslit her about a pencil. Yeah, that seems extreme. (laughs) So Nellie spends 10 days 
in the what was then called the Woman's Lunatic Asylum. Great. Um, And she noted everything from the conditions of the patients, the horrible conditions of the asylum itself, as well as its unfriendly and disrespectful staff. And this is, quote, from the same article that I quoted before. It says, again, the women are given barely edible food, slightly spoiled and cold meat, thin flavorless broth and tea, and the bread that was black and dirty and hard. And in places was nothing more than dried dough, in which Nellie finds a spider. Oh! Ew. Ew. She can't make herself oh. eat it. The other residents of the asylum are so hungry that they nearly leap over every over each other to reach as much food as they can. Oh, my god! And they eat it quickly without complaint. Then she's given an ice-cold bath and scrubbed, like, violently Yum. by a nurse. Then she's rinsed and then put, put in, like, a flannel dress without being, like, given a towel or anything okay. to dry off with. And then... Her, she's like in this bed with shitty sheets and like this thin pillow and she's wet and cold because she didn't get to dry off and she has a single wool blanket that doesn't even cover her feet and shoulders oh at the same gosh. time. So this is like life for 10 days. Yeah. Okay. Then she goes on to saying like all these other conditions which I will tell you a few. Their patient's hair is wet and brutally combed. Uh, oh. 45 women share two nurses and six combs. Oh. After a thin breakfast, the patients are sent to do all the cleaning and upkeep of the institution, even cleaning the nurses' bedrooms and clothing. So eventually, the New York world sprung for a lawyer and gets her out of the asylum. Ten days later, which is a super short turnaround, yeah. Nellie publishes a sensational expose at 23 years old <gasps> on the mistreatment of the mentally ill on Blackwell's Island, the conclusion of which was that the institutions were basically a convenient place to send people who families no longer wanted to take care of or who were, like, shunned by boarding houses and hospitals. And they were locked away, quote, so as not to disturb the happiness or the conscience of the sane. Ugh! That's yeah. That dark. is so dark. Anyone undesirable? Undesirable. They put in this horrific... Can you imagine being 23 years old and, like, going to, like, go, like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go do this stunt journal. As a woman, which, like, no one has done. I'm trusting that they're going to get you out. Yeah, That's trusting the that they're going to get you out. Because yeah. I remember... I, well, your story had reminded me that I read an article about, and it was a more modern day, like, a, in the last 20 years, uh, there was a, a research group from a university that were doing a similar thing. They were trying to test for, like, bias in uh, diagnosing mental illness. So they all went and basically, like, provided different, like... <clears throat> they went and, like, got triaged for, like, mental illness at, yeah. a, at an inpatient, like, be committed. And they all were able to pass that and then go in. And then from that point, they acted normal. And then they were like, hey, we're actually researchers and we were doing this whole thing as an experiment we need to go and the doctor's like well no you don't you have like atypical schizophrenia you need to stay and it got to the point where like those researchers their like supervising professor like who ran the program had to come to the hospital and say no no these are my students these are like these are the doc this is the documentation (laughs) of their experiment you can see that like this was always the plan please let them go and the doctors some of them refused and said well yeah I mean I see that you guys were doing that but now that they're here we see all this evidence of like serious mental illness and we can't let them go and it was this whole thing and so like some of those issues like really have not gotten better oh my god in terms of the way that we treat people with mental illness well it's still a very taboo topic and Mm -hmm. i think it's like just now really starting to come out like i feel like within the last couple years it's been more common for people to admit that they have even anxiety oh totally you know what i mean yeah now it's like oh yeah i have it oh my god me too like wait you have depression sometimes like me too you also oh it's crazy okay so wrapping it up though real quick 
As a result, this is the happy ending. Yay. As a result of her published series on the asylum, again, 23, a grand jury launched an investigation into the conditions. And Nellie was even asked to accompany the investigators on their visit to go, like, check it out and wow. see what, what was going on. And somehow the asylum got word of the visit. And upon the arrival, all of a sudden the kitchen was clean. They had salt and clean white bread. The boat that they came over was super clean. Um, all the wow. women who Bly had quoted in her series um, and who had written as being uh, as sane as she was had been discharged <gasps> and transferred or moved to another quarter where she could not see them. Wow. And then the grand jury's report recommended that changes that um, that Nellie proposed ended up being somewhere like a million dollars given to fund mental mental illness. Wow! In New York, yearly, I believe. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, kind of crazy. So that sort of sparked this like huge career for Nellie Bly, her pen name. And just for funsies, I'm going to tell you a couple of her other names because she played yes. hundreds and hundreds of roles in her oh life. Oh my gosh, as an under, undercover as a, like, journalist. Exactly. So one of her names was Helen, uh, Helen Wolcott, who was arrested for grand larceny. She doesn't really say how. To show show treatment of women prisoners. Okay. Oh, and also, um, everything that she, all of her stories, it always had something to do with social justice. Hell yeah. Another name was Nora Simpson, where she went to a free clinic in perfect health, only to show that they actually prescribe you things and prescribe you procedures that cost money. She went as (laughs) Alice, Alice Bostwick to uncover discarded babies in the city. What? And like where they go. She asked a notorious lobbyist to block legislation based on the status of her husband and got the names of six members of a committee who would be willing to to block this legislation to participate in this in exchange for money. Political corruption. Exactly. One more thing that I think is super dope. Nellie suggested to her editor at the New York World that she take a trip around the world to attempt to turn the fictional story of Around the World in 80 Days into fact for the first time. So cool. As a woman traveling Mm -hmm. alone. To which they said no, because women clearly can't travel alone. Yeah, you cannot do that. A year later, on November 14th, 1889, and with two days' notice, she boarded a boat and began her 40,000-kilometer journey. So cool. Just over 72 days after her departure from Hoboken, she was back in New York, and she had circumnavigated the globe traveling alone. Oh, she fucking did it. Eliza, I loved it. It was super good. That, like, oh, so scary. I'm going to come in uh, six points off the bat. Oh, Loved oh it. Lord. Really did love that. Two points for uh, having insane asylums in your story, because that always, like, that always gets me. Three points for being that, that the first undercover journalist was a woman. Yeah, that is very, very cool. Very, very cool. Minus one point, because we still haven't fixed healthcare. You know, mm. and that does seem like your fault. And that does seem <laughs> after this. You know what? To I feel be, like that's fair. Yeah, that's yeah. fair. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Eliza, I'm gonna have to start you off right off the bat with two points for telling us a story set in New York, which I love. But I know it must have been difficult for you as a West Coast girl. It was. <laughs> but I am gonna take those points away immediately <laughs> because I felt like. It was clear that you had not seen the hit TV land comedy drama Younger starring Hilary Duff post Lizzie McGuire and also Sutton Foster where Lizzie McGuire gets fucking slammed up against the window in a tram going to Roosevelt Island. But then she's like, I can't date that guy. He lives on Roosevelt Island with all the cats. So (laughs) I didn't take those points away. But then also like eight points for like, but then eight points for like (laughs) meticulous research. Yeah. And a great story told. 
I appreciate it, you guys. You're welcome. I'm just like feeling. I'm on a high right now. Ugh. Is it because you're still petting Mamba? It's because I'm still petting Mamba. It has nothing to do with my story, actually. Let's get into it. 50 million ton woman. Oh my god, I'm so excited. Woman. I know. I forgot. Let's just address that elephant in the room. Okay. Are you guys? Okay. Let's have a courageous conversation <laughs> about the one thing that everybody's thinking about. Coronavirus. Coronavirus. Thank you, Eleanor. Thank you. Well done. You're welcome. Right now, you know, it really can kind of feel like we're at this crossroads with coronavirus because on the one hand, we see, you know, it's in the news every single day. It's like the cases are rising it's spreading in ways that we don't really understand it's not good no it's pretty bad um but on the other hand if you're me and you grew up reading you know all sorts of disaster books and watching those movies you were like okay when this happens i'm gonna know that it's happening and now it's happening and you're like Oh, is this the one that's happening right, or is right. it just like a nothing that like I'll forget like about a in a SARS. couple of years like SARS Connor and I my boyfriend who has been on this show we were talking about this this morning and I was like I think what's happening is the scientists in charge which you know is kind of complicated because there's a lot of people weighing in yeah they're trying to weigh right now informing the public with panicking the public so there's certain best practices that we know just like no matter what's happening don't good. do this. It's going to help. Right. Yeah. Yes, do this. Don't do this. So yes, mm-hmm. do this is wash your hands for the amount of time it takes you to sing happy birthday twice. Oh, or, damn, y'all. That's yeah. not common. Yeah, <laughs> that's that. why I'm telling you. Thank you. So happy birthday twice. Or if that's not your cup of tea, uh, the chorus to uh, Toto's Africa. Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> a resounding so you can yes sing from that. Eleanor. That's my. Oh, can you just imagine that you you'd feel so much better? Yeah. And that's. I mean, like, even if you God had coronavirus. Take me away from you. There's nothing that a hundred men boys can ever do. Yeah, it's very good. Fun fact: Bang. When, bang. When Ellie and I first became friends back in 2016, I was like, "Come to Barbarella with me," and she was like, "I don't want to," and I was like, "It'll be fun." And then she did because she had some other friends in town that wanted to go out, and we danced to that song. We did dance to that song. I remember that. It was really fun. It was one of our songs. Guys, the last time I was at Barbarella's, a man who was my well, he is my he's okay, a friend, man, a man friend. Your fiance? No. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Why are you so shy about this? A like we're dancing, <laughs> we're dancing, and he like grabs my hands, yeah, and we're kind of yes. like doing one of these like shimmies, and then like all of a sudden I open my hand, and I have a crystal in my hand now, and he just goes, dance with it. <laughs> That's amazing. And it I was like so actually <laughs> one of the better nights I've had in Austin. Dance with it. Dance, dance with, it. with it. So shout out Sean Christian. Shout out to Sean Christian. Not a woman, but we will allow it. Uh, <laughs> But, you know, the washing your hands for the 20 seconds, that is just one of the many things that we learned from a long list that includes virology, genetic predisposition, genetic damage, and the limits of the human body that all came from one immortal woman. Stop it. What? God? Yeah. Yes. From God. <laughs> Stop it. God, God? Is a woman. <laughs> so one woman do a lot of science. It's even better than that. So let me paint you a word picture. Please do. You know I love to. Immediately. <laughs> Listen to me. Listen to me. Listen to me. Um, 
in the 1940s and 1950s, so, you know, uh, this is kind of when they had just started to discover the concept of vaccines. This is when they were just discovering that the human body wasn't made up of humors and was actually made up of, like, cells. Yeah. Uh, little tiny pieces. Not just made out of whims. Yeah. Not just made <laughs> out of, like, the four elements. There was a big rush to try to discover, you know, cellular biology. What happens when you have cells in outside of the body in a lab is that they only last for so long and then they they necrose and they die that's why they have to freeze sperm for example because otherwise it dies is this about a woman named hattie something you're so close so we've all agreed cells can only last for so long yep this was a huge problem for scientists in the 1950s right on the cusp of understanding cellular biology which was going to unlock literally every single part of modern medicine today yeah So what they would do is, very cool, they would just take cells from anybody who did anything. So like if you came in and like had your blood drawn, they would do the blood test and then they would just take your blood. And and they did not have to get, because they didn't have laws in place about it at the time, they didn't have to get your consent, they didn't have to tell you they were doing that. And so enter a woman Mm -hmm. named Henrietta Lacks. Henrietta Lacks. Yes. Henrietta Lacks was born in 1920, and then 30 years later, in 1950, she went to Johns Hopkins, which we now think of as one of the foremost premier medical facilities in the world. Yeah. At the time, it was the only hospital that you could go to in the area that would treat black people. Wow. So she had to go to Johns Hopkins because she had no other choice. She was being treated for cervical cancer at the time. Okay. Uh, Eventually, the next year, when she was 31... She died of cervical cancer. Mm. 31. Yeah. And they took her and they took her cells, just like they took everybody else's cells. But what they found, for reasons they could not explain, is that her cells don't die. <gasps> her cells are immortal. <laughs> uh, they don't they don't die. They just continue to reproduce indefinitely. They call them Hela cells. <gasps> so Henrietta Lacks, Hela. They call them Hela cells. From studying Hela cells, they have been able to create new immortal lines, but hers was the first immortal line and it was naturally occurring. I don't understand. Isn't that crazy? So no one did for a long time. I will eventually tell you why her cells were immortal. Okay, and great. And it rules. It, it will be satisfying. Did you okay. look into cloning and like what that means for cloning a human? I'm obsessed with this story. And we don't have time to get into everything. Like I said, it's really not an overstatement to say that every medical breakthrough basically that we've had in the last 60 years has come from Hela cells. Amazing. From her, And that's not just like, oh, now we use that term as a bucket term for these cells. I mean, from literally her biological cells. Okay. This is where we kind of come back in with the title. Since the 1950s, scientists have grown over 50 million metric tons of Henrietta Lacks cells in different labs all around the world. Oh my god. To put that in perspective, like we said earlier, that's seven million elephants worth of Henrietta Lacks. Or 150 Empire State Buildings. <gasps> Holy crap. Full of this woman's cells. Of one woman. Yeah. Name a woman. This woman. Immortal Hela cells have been the subject of more than 74,000 studies across the entire world. We're talking about uh, they couldn't have developed the polio vaccine without it. I mean, like, if you want to put it, like, in video game terms, this is, like, a cheat code that gives you an unlimited resource. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So as from before, whenever they were trying to do anything, like develop a vaccine 
or, oh, you know, yeah. figure out a medicine. They had to constantly get new cells in. Yeah, and right. then they had a limited amount of time yeah. to do whatever their Not research was. they probably was. had to, like, have ba- different baselines for every exactly. cell. And then, like, it would change the research time and exactly. all that. So now it's just, like, you just keep going on the same thing. Amazing. Right. So you might have... She's at least is exactly right. So you might have before cells from like fifty different people who again didn't know they were giving you their cells, and you would do all your little tests, and then you would have to correct for the fact that these were fifty different people because this is all also before genetic testing. Wow. Okay. Also, we only have genetic testing because of HALA cells. Oh my gosh. Yeah. What so, the heck? Um, but yeah, if they had these cells, they know it's all from the same woman. It's all biologically identical, and they can do unlimited tests on it. In 1953, a researcher discovered that you could stain chromosomes, like using this very specific dye. So it was the first time that we were able to see chromosomes, like whenever you see like those like little um, charts that kind of look like a bunch of X's. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? That was hella cells. So we wouldn't have any form of genetic testing or chromosomal testing at all without this woman. Wow. They also, another fun thing, they sent her cells into space. She had the first human cells in space were HALA cells to see what happens to human beings in space. Uh, so we wouldn't have had the space program. <gasps> Here's similar to the other stories we've heard tonight where things get a little bit dark. Ooh. Um, so like I said, Henrietta Lacks died in 1951. Uh, no one ever thought to tell her family that she was essentially the pioneer of modern medicine. In fact... When they did finally tell them, which was in 1975, they didn't even do it for, like, altruistic or ethical reasons. Here's what happened. Not only do her cells reproduce forever and never decay, they also reproduce so fast that scientists didn't realize that, like, just cells, like, you know, microscopic cells getting on, like, their sleeves or having, like, a particularly strong wind in the lab would contaminate other samples that they had in the lab with hella cells that then like a cancer would rapidly multiply and take over whatever the sample was so they contacted this family her like survive her daughter and her surviving husband because they just wanted to create like a, a genome map of Henrietta so that they could start to identify her cells from the other ones that were contaminated. That's the only reason why. Wow. So they gave her a call. <laughs> so I'm going to read the, from this article. Uh, this this comes from Rebecca Skloot, who we will talk about in a second. She okay. was the woman that brought this story to light. So Rebecca Skloot said, Henrietta's husband basically got a phone call one day, and the way he understood it was, we've got your wife, she's alive in a laboratory, we've been doing research on her for the last 25 years. Oh my god. The only cell he had ever heard of, this is 1975, was the kind in a prison, and he literally (gasps) thought, oh my god, they faked her death and they've had her in a cell. Oh my god. How do I get her out? Trauma. Yeah. There was definitely, you know, racism went into this, Mm -hmm. for sure, so... Nobody was really concerned about tracking down this poor black family and outside of Baltimore and telling them, you know, hey, you're responsible for something that's worth an incalculable amount of money. Oh, yeah. Because while right. John's... I didn't even think about that. Like, well, yeah. Because the thing is that while Johns Hopkins, being like a public research facility, could not sell Hella cells... Uh, they did give them to private pharmaceutical companies who sure did sell them. Yeah, of course. Who would make a bunch and sell it to other companies. They also, like I said, it was instrumental in so many medical breakthroughs that all those companies did profit off of. And none of that would have been possible without these cells that they got without informed consent. They have never been compensated. Ah. Uh. 
<laughs> of course. Uh, because the statute of limitations had run out by the time oh, they awesome. were like, able we to get there. Conveniently forgot to tell you for the exact amount of time that... Yeah. Wouldn't... The family has lived in poverty oh, since before the 50s and up until this point. But there's a couple unique things that have happened in the last few years that are at least starting to go in the right direction. So one thing is after over 60 years... In 2013, the NIH, the National Institute of Health, they finally agreed that lax genome data would only be accessible to people who applied for and were granted permission by an advisory group. And that advisory group mm. contains its scientists and also Pardon. lax descendants. Oh, okay. So they That's now, cool. you can only get Hell cells basically if they say it's okay. Yeah. Okay. Which is... Right. Better. Yeah, better. So the really ironic part is right now they're suing for guardianship of the cells, which would allow them to have some form of compensation. Uh, but it's really legally complex. It's yeah. Ne- there's never been a case like this before because they can't sue legally for ownership of the cells because the U.S. government has decreed that no one is allowed to own human cells to prevent exactly what's happening right now. Oh, no. So they had oh, said, wow. yeah, nobody can own human cells because that would be evil. Then you could profit off of other people. Just like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> ah! Yeah. But Rebecca Skloot is the professor who first learned about the origin of halo cells. She is the one that painstakingly for years developed the relationship with this family and wrote the book, The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks, that that became um, this sort of New York Times bestseller, really brought the story to light. And then now for the part that I know you guys have all been waiting for. Why don't they decay? (laughs) Why are her cells immortal? Her cervical cancer is one of three ingredients for immortality that makes her cells like this. Oh, the cervical cancer yes. is so there's, part of the immortality? So, yes, this was a very unique combination of things happening in this woman's body, one of oh. which is her cervical cancer that now make her cells immortal. So, ironically, if she hadn't had the cervical cancer she that killed her, she wouldn't have had immortal Whoa. cells. This is the three-part recipe for immortality, uh, apparently. One is Which that is like patented and totally copyrighted. TM, 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 what podcast 2020. Number one, she had cervical cancer, her tumorous cells, and the cells that they took from her because she was getting treated are her cervical cancer cells. So they're tumor cells. All of the chromosomes copy over and over again. Um, and so whereas a normal cell, as we all know, contains 46 chromosomes, right? 23 pairs. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Hers have about 80 oh, because wow. they're cancer cells. They're, they're malignant. Right. That's what they do. They multiply. They multiply. Second part is that her cells grow easily and rapidly. So they don't just multiply indefinitely because of cancer, but they also multiply very, very quickly. They double every 24 hours. Whoa. Yeah. That part is because she also had syphilis, (gasps) which was really common at that time. Right. Um, And so it was the combination of those two things make yes to constant reproduction and then also easy and fast. So now we have two of the three things. Okay. The last thing is just specific to who Henrietta Lacks was as a person. So what makes all of our cells decay? Telomeres. Telomeres. Queen. Look at this science queen. I don't know yes. what that is. Telomeres are the end of... Think about like the little like spirally ladder. Okay. So the ends of those are telomeres. Okay. And they're what connect so that your DNA keeps replicating and going throughout your body. Okay. And your cells keep turning over, right? Mm-hmm. 
over time they keep decaying and they have less and less of their information, which is why then sometimes your cells replicate and they're damaged. And that keeps continuing until you age and then eventually you die. Okay. She had an enzyme error in her telomeres that made them never decay. What? So that part... So really like, was just something so she about would, her. So would she, she never have didn't aged? Have any, yeah, if she didn't have syphilis and she didn't have cervical cancer, I wonder if she would have... No matter what, she would have always been susceptible to illness. I don't... Like, again, like I don't know enough about microbiology to say that she would Wouldn't never have aged. Age, but she would have but aged it is true slower, that, for yeah, sure. She would have Physically. definitely... She would have undergone less cellular damage than the average person. Yeah. The next time you get a blood transfusion, the next time you go get a flu shot, the next time you wash your hands for 20 seconds yep. and sing Rains Down Africa, think about Henrietta Lacks up in heaven and everything that she's done for you. Thank you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come straight in with nine points. Oh, oh my God. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, nine points. Um, I am going to subtract one point, sort of similarly to the problem with Lisa's uh, story that um, America's still very broken and we haven't solved racism. So, yeah, I, honestly, Which I would understand if you took fault. more than one point away on that one. <laughs> well, I mean, I wanted to take a point off to, for like the moment, but I don't want it to have to impact your score heavily. I'm going to give you three points. Oh, my God. For all the medical discoveries you know i love medical i know you like medical my air is gross your air is medical i know that <laughs> i always warn all of my sexual partners hey like before you get down it's there it's very medical down there it's crazy medical <laughs> <laughs> you don't even know what you're getting into it's how medical, so medical. It is. so yeah that's 11 for thank me thank you so much i'm freaking yeah. out <laughs> oh my god i'm She's just like freaked freaking. right now i am She's guys i'm freaking shot. out chelsea Elisa. i'm gonna come in right off the bat with eight nice <gasps> Strong. Because it's just such a good story. Yeah, it's it such is. a good story. I'm going to subtract one point because I did know the story before. Ooh, yeah, you did, and you know about telomeres. I couldn't get you on anything. <laughs> but then I'm gonna add two points. I thought her name was Hattie. So. <laughs> yeah. So really, I should probably dock point five oh, for myself. We could dock point five from Eliza for not knowing. <laughs> oh, there we go. I'm We're docking point five from Eliza. <laughs> Point, point five. five because clearly suck it max my bad <laughs> very much i'm dying um <laughs> but this is a, i just think it'd be important to end on this note for women's history month that she had cervical cancer from hpv which is mm. a virus that almost all of us have but also it is the cause of like 95 percent of cervical cancers cervical cancer is like one of the most preventable cancers which is why if you have a uterus and a cervix, you should go to your gynecologist at least once a year and get a pap smear. Absolutely. Because that's so, yeah, pap smear. It's not just like a fun, dumb thing that doctors want to do up in your stuff. It's not just a fun word. It's yeah. Like, yeah it's, not, it's not just like a gross word of like things <laughs> that like doctors want to do up in your stuff. It's because, and I know from personal experience, that they, they can catch it. Um, it's a slow-growing cancer, and if they catch it very early, which they almost always do if you get regular pap smears, all they do is they go in there with like a little like scrubby brush, and they scrub it off, and you're golden. Yeah. Uh, whereas if you 
if you let it grow, then it can it can kill you. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to see anyone die from cervical cancer. Mm-mm. I don't want to see anyone die from any kind of cancer, but especially a cancer that we can so easily prevent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so again, respect Henrietta Lacks and her legacy. Go get your pap smear. Go see a gyno. Get a doctor to check your stuff and don't put any radium up there. Don't put any radium. Also, don't put any douches. I, this is really going off on a tangent, but just like don't put stuff up in your vagina. If you have a vagina, it is a self-cleaning closed system. Leave it alone. It doesn't need to smell like <laughs> vanilla. It doesn't need to smell like cookies. Uh, it doesn't need to have stuff I in it. Hashtag say. Women's History Month. Your vagina smells how a vagina should smell. Thank you, Queen. I thought that you were going to say like douches as in like shit men. Like don't let any douches yeah, do up there. Also let don't. Any hey, however you define douche, don't put it don't in your vagina. Don't put it in your vagina. <laughs> and that's the shirt. And that's the show, you guys. And that's the show. Elisa, thank you so much for coming into our home and sharing your story. Thank you for having me. This has been a dream. Oh. I'm so excited. Where can people find you? People can find me in two places on Instagram. Oh, my, my gosh. personal one. If you want to keep up with my life, at, by the way, it's Aliza, A-L-E-Z-A. But if you're like, I got to hear that girl sing. <gasps> you got to hear her sing, you, you guys. You got to hear her sing. Also A-L-E-Z-A, but it's just at a.l.e.z.a. So it's like your nice. name, but you put dots in, in between every yes. letter. That's exactly That's cute. it. Thanks, guys. Uh, you can find me at Ellie Main on Instagram and Ellie Maney on Twitter. That's M-A-I-N-E-Y. It sure is. And you can find me at Chelsea Harfouche, wherever internets are sold. And you can find this podcast at WhatPod on Twitter and Instagram. You can check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash those two girls. You can check out our website at those two girls.club for information and stuff. Oh, and if you wanted to give us an iTunes review, that would be like really cute. That would be awesome. Elisa would be super happy. She reads them all because she's so sweet. And she sends us sweet Slack messages at work about our (laughs) iTunes things. So if you want to put a smile on Elisa's beautiful face, and please leave us on, a review and therefore on your and also on our faces but i'm like if you weren't if you weren't moved to do it by now for us maybe like the me. new introduction of a very sweet guest <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, also special shout out to our patrons over at patreon you can see all their names in the show notes below yes. on this episode and all of our previous episodes we love you very much we love you very much you allow us to get new mic stands and uh maybe do a photo shoot and generally if this episode sounds better than episode one, which I know it does, it's because of our patrons. So thank you guys so much. Thank you guys. Oh, and check out redbubble.com forward slash those two girls for the, all the fun shirts that we were talking about this evening. Yeah, I, I got to get to work. Yeah. All right. Love you guys. Oh, Bye. maybe oh. go learn something. Nice. <laughs>